open up to the books, uh, book of books of the book of Philippians as uh, we close out our study on Project uh, Joy, and we look forward to the next series. It's going to happen in two weeks. So we're in the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter four, the final chapter in that great book. And just a, a little uh, touch about the uh, future. Um, for those of you that are looking at the, the bulletin and wondering what it's going to be like next week, I encourage you to be, be here to invite your friends. We have a guest speaker all the way from, Tom, where is he all the way from? North Carolina. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of North Carolina, but we do have a lot of good good people that have come up there, and they came to their senses and moved to Alaska. So um, there you go. There is proof that there are there's some good people there, right? <laughs> yeah, you might. So um, uh, we have a, a brother coming up that's going to be preaching. Tom has is, is, um, introduced me to him, and um, his name is, and Phil, you'll like this, brother. His name is Pastor Outlaw. Okay, that's his real name. I think on his birth certificate, right? So we're not, it's, not, it's not a nickname, am I correct? Okay, it's his real name, Pastor Outlaw. He's an old believer who knows Jesus and has served him for a very long time. And uh, he's come to give us some wisdom from North Carolina, but hopefully from God's word. And, um, and I know he will. So I encourage you to be here for, be a part of that and uh, to be able to hear. Bring a, bring a friend. Yeah, this is definitely going to be one of those sermons you don't want to miss. Um, we'll definitely record it, put it up on the internet, but you don't want to hear it on the internet. You want to hear it live, live and in living color, as they say. Very good. So um, that being said, I want to encourage you to open up the book of uh, uh, Philippians as we finish out this series. So we've been doing Project Joy because Philippians has often been known as the book of joy uh, because Paul talks more about joy than, than about anything else um, there is. Last week we talked about, um, uh, let's see, let me get my title right here. Last week was, uh, what was the prize? We talked about the prize that you get in the end. Paul talks about running for a prize and and going for that. This week, we're going to get into some nuts and bolts. Now, you'll notice that Paul's epistles, especially these short ones, tend to be divided up in theology and practicality. And so the first couple chapters was dealing with the theology behind it. And the last two chapters has been dealing with the actual nuts and bolts of how you apply the joy to your life. And so last week, we talked about some hard subjects. We talked about what life is going to look like when joy isn't always there. We're going to continue with that theme because I think it's important that we recognize that joy isn't always um, something that we, um, we always feel. But it's something that we can always have as long as we ground ourselves where we need to be. So I do have, traditionally, I'm trying to do more of a three-point sermon. So I do have three points. We're going to get through them as we can. Uh, but before I even get to that, I think it's important that we just go ahead and read through um, a portion of the scripture that we're going to be dealing with this morning. Starting in chapter 4 of book of Philippians, the first verse, we're going to go ahead and read. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see with my joy, I uh, long to see my joy and crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony with the Lord, in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement and also the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known 
to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence or and if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul continues in verse 10, he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now that last you have received your concern for me, indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means, I also know how to live in prosperity, and in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering. I can do all three things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourself also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus that you have sent. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he has the final two verses of greeting uh, for the people that are there. So this passage is a final passage that we're going to be dealing with today. And the title of this sermon is Providence and Peace. Last week we talked about having a peace and uh, having a joy in every circumstance. And we talked about having the idea that, that God is just filling us with joy. Today we're going to take this idea of, of joy and we're going to turn it to the idea of providence and peace. And really, if you look at it, the first point that I want to deal with is that peace with God really begins with a kind of like-mindedness. You see this in the very first uh, verse as Paul is talking, he, uh, or uh, sorry, the second verse where he talks about to live in harmony. He's urging both these two women to live in harmony with the Lord um, and in the Lord. This word harmony is an interesting word. It's the word in Greek is proneo. It means like-mindedness. It means to have a mind that's very similar. Now, I say that, and, and already, you know, some of us that are a little rebellious and have a a little bit of an outlaw streak, you know, we, we, tend to, we tend to walk to the beat of a different drummer, and I don't know any parent that wants their kids to follow lockstep with all the kids in their, in, in their, in their influence. Um, we don't like the idea of peer pressure, and we want our kids to be independent and, and, and thinkers that, that are focused on what God has called them to do, but be able to think on their own. But what Paul was trying to say, that there needs to be a level of like-mindedness within the body of Christ. Now, you're seeing a shift here. Paul is, is moving away from verse, or chapter 3 and going into verse, chapter 4 as he starts to get into some nuts and bolts. Before, he was talking about um, sort of a debating style, sort of a, um, a, a, an overview of what it looks like. But now he's getting into the personal side and how he deals with this personally. We mentioned a few weeks ago that 
the people that are in this room that call themselves Christians are individuals that are going to spend eternity in heaven, and they're going to spend eternity with us. And so we ought to at least get along with the people that are in this room because heaven is big, but it's not so big that we can hide from people, right? There's not going to be any hiding. We're going to know each other as we're known, and we're going to love and live for all eternity with the people that are right here. And so it's important that we develop this like-mindedness. There is something special. When you're gathering with Christians, people that are that are close to you, people that you're in a faith fellowship with, and you, there are so many things that go without being said that within that group, there is a there is a sweetness to a kind of uh, fellowship and a gathering when you're all together, and and you don't have to put on airs. You can just be yourself, and you can love Jesus without any kind of a barrier in between. A lot of times when we're dealing with non-Christians or in the secular world, there are barriers that have been erected by the government or by our employers or by ourselves that don't let us completely um, uh, share 100%. But when we're with our believing brothers and sisters, there ought to be a level of like-mindedness as we move closer to the Lord. We may not always agree, but there should be some baseline agreements that we have. We should all agree that Jesus truly is in us, moving through us, and wants to use us as his hands and feet into the community around us. So peace really begins with this like-mindedness. Look what it says in verse 3. I love this particular passage. Indeed, true companion. Now, I would love for you guys to tell me who this guy true companion is. I have no idea. Um, I know most theologians have no idea. The word there that is using in Greek is sizigos, sizigos, or companion, the true companion. What that means is, if you put that, if you actually translate that into actual words, you could, it was, it's the word yoke fellow. Yoke fellow, like yoke with eggs, and then fellow isn't like a dude on the street. Yoke fellow. When I was first getting involved in the Christian church as a young man, my father was invited to be part of the deacons of the church that we were serving. I wasn't a pastor yet. I was just a Sunday school teacher. We were just sort of moving. And my father was commanded as part of the deacon body to have a yoke fellow a yoke fellow. Does anybody in here, you can raise your hand, anybody know, I mean, has anybody been a part of a yoke fellow ministry, a deacon and yoke fellow ministry? That must be a, like a deep south kind of thing. Um, it, I know it's kind of odd, maybe it's old school Christian thought, but I liked it because what that meant was my father, who is now a deacon, had to train a replacement. And so it was his duty as a deacon, his primary function was to pick somebody in the congregation that was a young man that was going to be a viable candidate for being a deacon, that he could bring alongside him and train him up so that one day when he's ready to step away from being a deacon, there's somebody younger able to take his place. So my father did what he, uh, what he, what he did a lot of times, is he came up to me and said, hey, guess what you are now? I'm like, what am I now? He goes, you're my yoke fellow. And so I said, why do I want to be an egg man? And he goes, not an egg man, you're a yoke fellow. You're going to help bear the yoke that God has placed upon me. I'm like, what kind of yoke is that? He goes, I'm a deacon, and you're my deacon in training. And I loved it. And so when my dad went up to the church to clean out the gutters, guess who he took? Me. When my dad went to visit the, uh, uh, the nursing homes because the pastor wasn't able to get to there that, that week, guess who he took with me? With him. Me. When my father had to teach Awanas and he was the game guy, guess who he brought along to help teach? Me, because he wanted to teach me 
how to do ministry in the hands and feet that he was doing. Because being a deacon means being a servant. And I think that's one of the most important things we can do as uh, leaders is to bring people alongside us. And the idea that we have a true companion, and we have no idea who this fellow is. Some theologians say that his name might have actually been companion, that Sizigos. Um, we don't really know for a fact. We do know that the word is translated true companion, and almost every, tra- every version uh, uses that, uh, a, a, a form of that word. The idea is that Paul was reaching out to a church leader, somebody that was a fellow worker in the ministry, somebody that he could trust beyond all others. And he urged this church leader to get involved in this struggle between these two godly women that for whatever reason were at odds and to encourage them to follow. And look what he says, that these individuals, these women, along with the true companion, have shared his struggle in the ministry. That word struggle there that is used is a word that in the Greek means battle. It means it's a military term. In other words, Paul is saying, we've been in the trenches. We fought and bled together. You need to build up the body, come into the side of them, and handle this. You know, I tell you, it's amazing how how strong personalities within the church can do great things. If we have strong personalities in our church, there's almost nothing we can't accomplish. There's, no, there's almost no door that we can't crash through. There's almost no wall that can't be knocked down in front of us. The problem runs into is when strong personalities begin to disagree, right? And we've all been there. Every church I've ever been a part of has had strong personalities that sometimes are at odds with each other. And it's almost like when mom and dad are fighting, the rest of the house is just not happy. And that happens sometimes in church life. But we need to remember that uh, no matter what happens, we are still fighting the same fight. We still have the same enemy. And the world is still looking at us. And if we can't work things out here... How in the world can we attract other people to be part of what we're doing? And remember, the battle, and this is what Paul is trying to remind them, the battle is bigger than the little nitpicky fight that we're having right now. The battle is larger than this. We are fighting a war for the souls of all humanity. We're talking, and that's easy to say, that all humanity, right? We can throw that out there. Let's be more specific. We're fighting for those people that are lost living in Kenai, Alaska. We are fighting for the lost souls of Nikiski. And you don't have to go very far into Nikiski to find the lost souls. You don't have to go very far in Kenai to find the lost souls. They're here. This is the battle that we're waging. This is the fight we're trying to, uh, to win. We know that the ultimate war has been won, but we also know that the nuts and bolts of the battle on a daily basis is something that we have to fight. And that's what he says here, Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. These are people that are all in the book of life, he says. These are all Christians. They are moving together. And then Paul decides he wants to go into the, into the next step, right? He's, he's urging them to be like-minded so that this peace can begin to grow and manifest itself because it's that peace that's going to be attractional to people that are outside of us. And then he goes to verse 4 and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Remember, this is how that peace begins. It begins with us having a like-mindedness. And I'm not saying that we should always think like us, right? If we're all seeking to be have the mind of Christ, and he is our example, he's the one we're seeking to go for, you don't have to think like Al. You have to think like Jesus. And if Al is thinking like Jesus, and Eric is thinking like Jesus, and Tom is thinking like Jesus, guess what? We're all thinking alike. And our focus is not on our flesh, but on him. 
And that's when the joy begins to start manifesting itself. And then it comes into the next stage, which is trust. Peace and trust go hand in glove. You cannot have one without the other. And that's why Paul starts it off by saying, rejoice always. Rejoice always. And look what it says in verse 5. Look what it says. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Friends, I cannot stress just how powerful that is. There should be a gentleness just completely immersed with peace that exudes out of us. And that's hard for some of us that are a little gruff, right, Phil? It's hard. Am I picking on you, right? Because you're crusty. You know, that's, you are, brother, crusty Phil. I love you, brother, but we're, we're like this, right? Old Testament truth, I love it, yeah. But the gentleness needs to be there. And I know, and, I, and I've spent a lot of time with Phil, and, and I pick on him a lot, but the truth is he's, he has a gentleness and a sweetness about his soul. He, if he, he wouldn't have been a teacher for as many years as he had if he hadn't had that because I've seen some of those kids that have come through, through his ministry there, and they're just, they're changed kids. But there is a gentleness that's there. There's a meekness that comes in, a willingness to be able to serve. And this is where it begins. That peace starts when we trust that God is going to have our back, that he's going to be there for us. That gentle spirit flows through us. And this is why we need to be gentle, because look what he says in the last part of verse 5. He says, the Lord is near. Now, if you have a New American Standard, you'll notice that that's a, that's a standalone sentence. That The first sentence was, uh, your gentle spirit be known to all men. Then there's a period. Now, we know in the Greek there were no periods, and so this is something that the translators have done when they moved it into English to give us a better understanding of the way the Greek is constructed. And so we have a standalone sentence here, the Lord is near. Paul is trying to remind us always that the end times is coming, that Jesus is going to be back soon. Paul, 2,000 years ago, sitting there in prison, writing this letter, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, trying to encourage the church in Philippi, was giving him the wisdom that God had poured into him and allow it to overspill its life of the Philippians that one day we might be able to read it and be encouraged was believing at that moment that Jesus was close he was about to come back at any moment that's a beautiful thing to have as we sit there in the midst of whatever problem we're having when life is crashing around us when the the turmoil has seemed to, to to be without end around us as we as we struggle to find a place of peace in the eye of this hurricane and we wonder where is God he is near to us and he is close to returning I don't know when he's coming back, but in every age he's always said that. But it's hard for me not to look at the news. It's hard for me not to see the events that are playing out in front of us and think to myself, how can the end times not be almost right now? I mean, I really feel like we have just a short period of time left. Now, as a father, as a, as a hopeful grandfather, as, as somebody who likes to, to, wants to see my kids grow up and live and love and have kids and go to do the things they want to do, I'm not, I don't know if I'm incredibly ready for God to come right back. But there's another side of me as a Christian, as, as the individual that loves Jesus with all my heart and soul, with my greatest desire is to be able to see him in the flesh, to be able to see faith wither away to where it's no longer needed, to where I can live by sight and not faith, to be able to walk hand in hand with Jesus for the rest of eternity. That is so attractional to me, I cannot even begin to imagine. And as I get older, as I get closer, hopefully to glory, then this becomes an even greater desire for me. But that peace needs to be in part of our life. And it begins with verse 6. 
as we have that gentle spirit, he says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious, he says. We need to allow this anxiety and the frustration and the fears of life to fade away and allow God to move through us. This is hard to, it's hard to do. I'm telling you this right now because there are times in our life when peace is not there. And I want you to know that Paul is not writing this from a place of high theology. He's not sitting in a monastery somewhere protected by high walls against the problems of life. He's sitting in a prison. He knows what it's like to live a tough and hard life. He's writing this passage for those times when peace seems to be lacking. And he gives us three basic commands. He says, first of all, don't be anxious. And look what he says after that. He says, in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious, but in everything you do, you should bathe it with prayer. You know, there's something about this. When, when it's, and this just ties right back into the like-mindedness. ties back into the peace. It ties back into not being anxious. When you can trust that God has your back, when you can trust that no matter what happens, he's going to carry you through this because he is closer to you than a brother. And I know a lot of theologians in verse 5 like to say that Paul is talking about end times there. And I think he is. But I also see that, God, that, that Paul is speaking, through, uh, 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 speaking about the Lord being close to us like Jesus said when he said he'll stick closer to you than a brother. We should be anxious for nothing. Bathe everything in prayer. When we have minor frustrations and irritations with people that seem to, to sap our like-mindedness and our gentleness and our peace and our frustration seems to override us, a lot of times that can pass away if you just spend time in prayer. You know, I wonder if these two ladies, Iodia and Sintiki, what it would look like if they spent 20 minutes a day praying for the other one. And I'm not saying praying that God move them to a new church, right? Because that's a prayer. And that's... that's it is, you know, uh, preachers love to say, you know, all church members are a blessing. Some bless you when they come and some bless you when they go, right? Um, so we have that saying amongst ourselves, but I don't know a, pra a pastor at all that would pray that somebody would leave his congregation. I mean, that would be bad, wouldn't it? And no church member should pray that somebody should leave. We should, but imagine about this. If you have somebody that you're kind of frustrated about, like, you know, anybody, and you spent 20 minutes a day praying that God will bless them, bring them peace, be with their kids, allow their job life to be prosperous, to guide their understanding in scripture, and to pray that give you a heart to be more loving towards that person that you don't like very much. Imagine what it would be like in your life if you were able to do that. Imagine how long those feelings of frustration would stay. I would have to say that as you moved through this, that you would no longer have a problem in your interaction with that individual. And I think it's important that we look at this because every church struggles with this. Our church struggles with this. We all have dynamic personalities that are changing and growing, and people make mistakes. 
And there needs to be a level of grace and peace that flow through our congregation that cover over those things. And when we can't seem to get past it, we need to pray past it because that's where God will use us the most. Look what he says here. He says, with thanksgiving and supplication, we let our request be made known to the Lord. Verse 7 says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I have dwelt on this passage a lot because I have sought the peace of God. You know, there were times in my life where I sought him more on an intellectual and a theological level because my life was pretty good and decent, and I had very few problems. Those times in my life were very few and far between. And I found that the majority of the time that I have spent looking at this, seeking that peace that passes all comprehension, I've asked myself, what does that really mean? What does that look like? How can I have that in my life? I think it goes back to what he says before. We begin by rejoicing. We seek to have a gentle spirit. And we choose not to be anxious, but pray about everything. One of my favorite heroes in the faith, Martin Luther, used to spend 45 minutes to an hour and a half in prayer every day. Before he did anything, he'd get up extra early, he would pray. And when I don't, I've had extended prayer times. I think the longest I've ever spent in prayer has been about an hour. And, you know, after about 15 minutes in, you kind of almost run out of things to say. Have you ever been in that situation where you're praying? You probably haven't. Maybe it's just me. But I had that problem. And I get to a point where I'm like, well, I've, I've gone through my list, right? I prayed for all the people on my list. I prayed for the things that I'm, I'm, I'm going for. I have my, my shopping list of prayer requests that have already been gone through. Now where am I at? And it's interesting at times like that when the sweetness of the Spirit flows in and that peace that I'm seeking for really comes in. And the verse that comes to mind almost invariably every single time is Psalms chapter 46, verse 10, where it says, Be still and know that I am God, right? And that verse sort of flows into my mind. This is a life verse that Sandy and I have had in our ministry, and that verse sort of flows into my mind. And it, what he's saying is, Al, you've done your talking right now. Shut up, okay? Shut up, because I, I already know. I already know. Yeah, Sandy will tell you that right there. So I already know what your needs are, because the Bible says he already knows before we ask. His spirit is already within us groaning for things we don't even know that we should be asking for. So in all reality, pulling out our shopping list, we don't really need to do that. But it does get us in a nice frame of mind, right? And it allows us, once we get through all that, that, that stuff, right, that we can get into that place where we can sit there and just be quiet, be still and let God speak to us. And I'll tell you, one of those times, usually a lot of those times, happens, and then all of a sudden, things start bubbling up in my mind, right? Things that I, that I didn't think about, things that I had not thought about, things that, that I have offended God about, things that I need to repent about. And then occasionally, every so often, if I get past that time where I'm, I'm now in a place where I'm, I've, I've been able to deeply ask for forgiveness and things that I know that I've wounded the heart of God about. And then I get to the next step. And that's that rejoice in the Lord always. That's when, and I know you guys have one, even if you're not a singer. And I know some of you guys, like my brother Tom, I love you, but I, and I, you've told me time and time again that God never gave you the gift of singing. Am I correct? Okay. Yeah. Not going to be singing. I got you right there. But I know for a fact that God has, got a, uh, that God has placed a song in your soul that resonates with you. And it's at those times when you get past that moment where you've, you've cleared all the blockages and the Holy Spirit is just feeding into you and that peace starts to radiate out from you like your nose and just sort of all the way to your fingertips. You know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah. And then it's at those times, for me at least, maybe I'm, and maybe it's just me, it's at those times that songs start to come up to my mind. Sometimes it's simple, like a chorus, like just something easy. Other times it's deeper. One of the songs that, that, that comes up in my prayer time right now is, is a song by, um, oh, I can't remember his name now. The song is The Chain Breaker. The Chain Breaker. Have you heard that song? He's the chain breaker. He's the way maker. And I start hearing that song being sung in my mind, so much so that I have to start singing it. So it's a good thing I do my prayer time alone with a closed door because I'm not much of a singer either, but these songs come out of me and I just have to, I have to let him sing. And then as we flow through those times of the songs, as they flow through me, it's almost as though I'm completely drained. And it's at those moments, once everything has gotten out, that God can begin to really fill me with what he wants to share with me. And it's at those times, that peace that passes all understanding really really fills you. This is what we're looking for. And this comprehension that's passing all of our whatevers is there to guard our hearts and our minds. This is so very important. The enemy is constantly seeking to destroy us. The Bible says he is a roaming lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for a way to get into your soul and into your life. And if he can destroy your peace, he can destroy your joy, he can eliminate your ability to worship God on on an hourly, daily, minute, minute minute-by-minute basis. If he can strip that joy from you, then he knows that he's got you right where he wants you. The next step is going to be to fall into sin. I'm reminded of the interaction in the book of Genesis. When Cain was struggling after the sacrifice. You know, oftentimes we give Cain a bad rap, and he was a horrible sinner. He was a murderer. But he was also a sinner and a murderer who God spoke personally to. How many people in Scripture did God specifically speak to? Think about it. There's only been a handful. And one of them was one of the worst sinners that we have in the book of Genesis. And look what God said to Cain. He's like, beware. Sin is crouching at your door. You're about to go into an area you don't want to go. Turn back. If only Cain would have listened. It's interesting. The third and final point that we're going to get to is peace. Peace comes when we begin with like-mindedness. It continues as we place our trust in him because peace and trust go hand in hand. And the final thing is focus. Peace really matures as we begin to adjust our focus. Finally, brethren, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and then he goes to that whole list, dwell on these things. You know, when time is not going well, and I've in my role as a pastor, I've had many times where I've had folks in the office, and, and I don't normally like to do marriage counseling in a small church, and I've, I've talked about this before. It's, it's, it's weird when, in a small gathering like this, it's hard for a pastor to do that kind of work, because when it's all said and done, good, bad, or indifferent, I know too many secrets in families, and it's hard for people to sit. And I've, every single time I've done this, I've, the family that I've worked with has left the church, even if the marriage counseling was successful. So I try to stay away from it. I try to farm this out to, to, to uh, people that are, um, that are respected in the community, that are Christian. Uh, count, not saying I won't, I just, I'm always hesitant about it. Um, but in that... I think it's important for us to remember, and when I do get a chance to counsel people, I always encourage them to focus on things. 
A lot of times when somebody comes to me and says, you just don't know, Al, I, my wife is just, oh, she's so hard to deal with. My husband is just complicated. Um, and it's easy to focus on the negative, right? The negative is in front of our face. But what happens when you focus on the positive? Focus on the things that you enjoy about your spouse. Think about the things that you enjoy about your child. Think about the things that you, that you enjoy about hanging with your coworker or individuals that you're at odds with. There's got to be at least one or two things that you can, you can actually hang your hat on and say, this is something I really enjoy and like about them. If you are able to dwell on that, and I know a lot of times in verse 8, tends to, it tends to be things like, well, we got to watch the movies we, li- we watch, we got to watch the music we listen to, we got to watch the friends' advice that we talk to. But I don't, I don't know if Paul is actually talking about that. I think Paul may be alluding to some of that, but I think if you really think about it, if you look at the personal nature of verses um, uh, 4 through 9, you see that he's really looking at the personal interaction between individuals. Specifically, I know the, the, he's talking about this interaction between these two women, but Imagine what it would be like as you're beginning to pray for them 20 minutes a day, if you begin to focus on the things that are true, the things that are honorable about the other individual, the things that are right that the other individual does, the things that are pure that the other individual represents, the things that are lovely about them, whatever is a good repute in their life. If there is anything that's excellent about them, if that's what you're dwelling on, worthy of praise, dwell on these things. It's amazing when you magnify the good, how the bad tends to slip away. And you can be able to focus on what God has really called us to do. Look what he says here in verse 9. It comes to our final bit. He says, these things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. He says, I've done all this in front of you. I've done this while I was with you. I've done this in our writings. I've done this in our interactions through every other aspect of my ministry. Everywhere I've gone, I have done this so that you can see that I'm doing this in front of you. Now I need you to practice these things in reality. And he says, if you do that, the God of peace will be with you. We start off with like-mindedness. We put our trust in Jesus and we have our focus on the things that build him up. These three things will help us to practically live out a life. And when we do this, we will see that the peace of God will come in It will guard our hearts, it will secure our minds, and it will truly be a peace that passes comprehension. It should be a peace that dwells with us for a long time. These are the things that I think that we need to remember. And over all of this, Paul says in verse 6, that we need to be prayerful people. This is something that I've learned in my life, that prayerful people are peaceful people. The more we pray, the more peace we have. I mentioned Martin Luther. He prayed for an hour and a half almost every single day, sometimes between an hour and an hour and a half. When he was getting ready to face a tough and difficult day, rather than cut his prayer time short, he would lengthen it. He would say often that when he had a busy, horrible day and he knew some things were going to happen, that he would double or sometimes triple his prayer time. He felt that he, that God could do more in prayer than he could do with the time if he didn't do it without prayer. And so that leads right into what Paul says later in the epistle in chapter 4 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
It begins with being in Christ and letting him strengthen us. The only way that we know the heart and mind of God to be in Christ is to spend time with him. So I would encourage you guys, pray more, complain less, focus on the good and the joyful, and seek his peace. If we do these things, we will be the kind of community that the people that aren't in this building today will want to be in this building tomorrow. It begins with us. We're the ones that reach out. We're the ones that are responsible. We are the ones that hold the light of Jesus Christ in our soul. We are his image bearers. Are we doing the job God wants us to do? If you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, most of this message was probably not for you. But I know this, that you do not want to leave here today without getting your heart right. And if there's anyone in here that's never, belt, never knelt their knee to a holy God, never taken their will and said, God, it's not my will but yours. If there's anyone in here that's never repented of their sin, never truly believed that Christ died on the cross and rose again, I encourage you, don't leave here today without getting your heart right. Because it's important that we begin every good and faithful movement with the right course, which is salvation. We mentioned it with the kids today, that we need to start off by putting your helmet of salvation on. So the altar will be open for whatever you need, whether it's salvation, whether it's just a moment where you need to give a burden up to God, or whether it's just that God is speaking to you and you want to hear more. I encourage you to use the altar for whatever he is leading you to use it for. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day you've given us. We thank you for the privilege to be here in this space. Father, I don't know all the things that each one of us are dealing with, but I know that everybody in this room is struggling in some way or fashion. Father, I ask that you'll give each one of us a measure of peace, a measure of grace, a desire to spend more time with you, that we might be able to hear your heart, your word, your message, that we might be able to see, hear that song magnify in our life that we might truly be able to see what you'd have us to do in the days to come. Father, we know that the fields are ripe unto harvest and the workers are few. Father, I ask that you'll raise up godly men and women in this church to be workers, not that we might be known as a working church, but that we might be known as a gentle, faithful church that serves you and follows you, every one of us, to a man, woman, and child. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We just put all of our concerns in your hands. If there's anyone that doesn't know you, don't let them leave here today getting their heart right. We ask this now in the name of Jesus, in the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us go.